school when you would fill out what your parents did for a living. I would write trimmings not knowing what the heck it was. When they opened up the window in the sweatshop, I used to go play on the roof. Is that a great place where you could play? I said, God, let the morning come quick so I can go to my sewing machine. I think I'm nuts. Hello and welcome to Sewing Community, the podcast where local Westchester area residents share their life in fabric and thread. I'm your host, Aaron Page, Director of Folk Arts at Arts Westchester, the officially designated Arts Council for Westchester County, New York. For the last several months, Arts Westchester has been teaming up with Amanda Browder, a Brooklyn-based fabric artist, to transform our nine-story building of White Plains into a cascading, colorful fabric installation. All of the stories heard in this podcast were collected from individual volunteers who've been involved in the building of this monumental work of public art. While the project is currently on hold because of COVID-19, our hope is that the stories shared here will in some small way sustain and deepen the social fabric of our sewing community. In this week's episode, we'll hear from Ken Ray, mayor for the village of Sleepy Hollow, as he reflects on his time down south while working for the Amalgamated Clothing Workers Union. Enjoy! Good afternoon. My name is Ken Ray. I grew up in San Clemente, California, which is halfway between LA and San Diego, a little tiny beach town, was a little tiny beach town. I came to the East Coast to go to college. I stayed after I got out, and I've been here for several decades now. I lived in Brooklyn for 17 years. I've been in Sleepy Hollow now for 22 or so. Uh, right now, I'm the mayor of the village of Sleepy Hollow, um, and I also run a nonprofit in the city called the Peronic Foundation that primarily does affordable housing. And when I first got out of school, um, I ended up getting a job with the Amalgamated Clothing Workers Union, um, kind of by accident and I worked for uh, the Southern Division of the Union. Um, so I was based in New York. Uh, I was flying back and forth um, to the South every week, typically 150 nights a year on the road. It was kind of interesting because uh, I was thrown into this kind of factory world that I really didn't know anything mm-hmm. about. And it, so we were the clothing workers in the South. It was mostly shirt factories, uh, pants, jeans, things like that. Clothing in the industry means men's suits. Um, it was a clothing workers union, but uh, I worked with um, with folks who made um, arrow shirts, made um, men's dress shirts, jeans, and things like that. So I had to learn, you know, how all of this stuff worked, um, and I learned it from workers and from staff in the South who had been factory workers. I, I uh, don't have a particular fabric fabric story. Um, it's more how I was around it. I was looking at how Amanda's laying out the stuff on the tables in there. It's like, oh, it's a cutting table. Uh, I'm, I'm a spreader almost. The table's too short. should be up a little bit more. Where's the machine that runs it back and forth? And, you know, and none of these people should be doing this. No, this, is a, this is a highly skilled, you know, it took me right back to that. Partly, because um, you know, my job was like essentially negotiating contracts. So it was a contract renewal. I'd go and meet with a committee of workers. We would then go as a group and meet with the company folks and argue back and forth and eventually get to a contract. Most of the time, occasionally not, end up in a strike. Uh, so I was that lead spokesperson. 
that's how I learned is you walk through, you walk through, and and you go through enough different kinds, you know, factories. Um, certain things are pretty much the same in a shirt factory. It doesn't vary that much. You know, the higher end the shirt is, the more operations there are. When you're making a binky, which I'd never heard of until I saw somebody making one, which is essentially a smock like you'd wear in Kmart, with two little pockets in the front. You know, it, it's for staff people. It's incredibly simple. You know, boom, boom, a couple of you know side stitch, and and you're and you're done. There was a woman I worked with, Eula McGill, who she was, I was 22, 23. She was in her 60s. Eula went to work in a textile plant when she was 14 years old in Alabama. And back then you trained for free. They didn't pay you when you started because you didn't know how to do anything. For the first couple of months or whatever you're working on a machine, you get nothing for it. She first joined a union when she was 16, started organizing when she was 16. And Eula, she ran the, the North Alabama region. And so I would be with her all the time. And she would tell me these stories about what it was like back then. Because she would drive down, she hated the interstates. So we'd both be smoking away like fiends. And she'd drive along and go, oh, yeah, once we had a big fight here when the street union hall used to be upstairs in that building, you know, somewhere in the outskirts of Birmingham. And, and you know, there used to be a streetcar that came through here. Company sent the goon squad over, and um, so we had bats, and we were out in the street, and it was so bad the streetcar couldn't get through. You know, it was just sort of, and I'm looking at it and going, what? You know, it's like, you know, thinking, God, I hope that doesn't happen anymore. You know, she and she had stuff that, like, I mean, I was a history major, and there was stuff that I'd never heard. It just doesn't. There were there was a bridge somewhere. Um, in South Alabama, it wasn't in Selma, it wasn't that bridge. And she was talking about the National Guard was called out during strike and they had they were had machine guns and they used them. And it's like this is Americans shooting other Americans, you know, in the street with a machine gun. Nobody ever heard anything about it. Most of the workers were black in the in the Mississippi factories that I had anything to do with. And you know, you'd be standing in, in the small town where the factory was, and when white people spoke to them, they would look down, you know, and it's like, well, you don't, you don't look them in the face. And I'm, I'm like, this is 1979. This isn't ni 1949 or 1929. And, and there was a show deference. And I'm like, what? What is going on here? And then I was in north, like, Florida, um, outside of... Tampa, early to mid-80s, and the factory that made the binkies. <laughs> and I, I don't remember what the name of it was, it's not important. But a big place, had 400 people, and um, every single worker was black, and all of the supervisors were white. I mean, lowest level supervisor was white. No black supervisors anywhere in the plant. We met in the Martin Luther King Hall, you know, uh, on the black side of town. And we're driving over to it, and I'm with staff people, um, like three people, two of them are white, one was black. We go over, and like all of a sudden the roads are dirt. And it's like, wait a minute, you're kidding me. And it's like, they didn't pave the roads in the black part of town. It, and it was like, this is crazy. So we get into this, into the union hall, and we're, you know, we're talking to folks and, you know, having a meeting. And then one of the guys I was with, Elvin Odom, you think, whatever, redneck, whatever. 
and a South Alabama guy, and he gave this speech that blew everybody away because he identified with the thing that really mattered. We are all workers, you know, we're all being exploited. I did the same thing that you did. You know, this is, I know what this is. You know that I know. I never, and I'm just standing over on the side, and it's like, man, stay out of the way, because th there's a connection going on there that was just amazing to see. It was, it was just, um, still gives me chills. And it, it's, anyway, so that's fabric. What matters about the fabric is the fabric of workers and society. I think in, in Sleepy Hollow, I've got this advantage of being the mayor, and um, so there's certain kinds of things that we can do. And we have a bunch of artists who live here, um, so being able to engage with them uh, and show some kind of support for them, I think is really important because artists don't get enough support. And something like this uh, combines the art with community component um, that is really critical. I live in a community that has been a long time immigrant community. Uh, most recently it's Spanish speaking folks, but it was Italians and Portuguese and before that. We're proud of that heritage, and I think um, events like this one show that we think everybody who lives here is part of our community. And you can't say that, you have to prove it, you have to show it. And so it's not a huge thing, but it's, it's a small, another small way of engaging people, because these folks are all going to go home that um, the folks that are in the, in the room right now who are uh, immigrants, and say, yeah, I did this, and wasn't this cool? And their kids are there, and that's important to see that. And then knowing, you know, when that when it goes up on, on your building, and, you know, we can go down there and say, yeah, we had something to do with that. Join us for next week's episode with Westchester residents Fatiha Makloufi, an Algerian-American fashion designer and small business owner, and Regina Farrell-Fagan, a ceramicist, fabric artist, and embroiderer from Dublin, Ireland.